0: Our title this morning is God Used the Small and Insignificant to Change the World and that should give us all hope this morning. He used the small, the insignificant, the obscure to change the world this morning and that in itself should speak to your soul. No matter what world the world has told you or the life your life has showed you, you're not insignificant, you're not too small, you're not too nittle to be used by God. Isn't that something to be excited about, church? <clears throat> Father, we just do thank you for your word, God, and we pray this morning that, Father, would do us good. Lord, we pray that, Father, we would leave here, Lord, a different people, an enlightened, enlightened people, a people, Lord, that can see the hand of God right through history, leading to this great promise, this birth of the Messiah who would come, to take away the sins of the world, to bring hope to the hopelessness, of this world. And Father, we thank you that for all those this morning around the world who have trusted Christ, Father, they've found a new life, a new hope, a new joy, a new purpose. Lord, a new purpose, and that purpose is to live for God. Lord, to be an example, to be a light, to point people to Jesus, that they too can have their lives changed and have their souls saved. And Father, we pray this morning that you would indeed bless us as we take time to feast over your word in Jesus' mighty name. So Micah chapter 5, just verse 2 this morning, and um, our theme is quite obvious, it's a theme, it's the Christmas theme, we're working towards um, Christmas, um, of course, which is the birth of Christ, but this morning we're going to be looking more at the birthplace of Christ, not so much the birth of Christ, but the birthplace. As I was studying on this, I come across some facts, and the facts is this, that there's 500 plus verses that speak of the first coming of Christ. <coughs> In three years of ministry, the Lord Jesus fulfilled 300 of them alone. And I want to look at just one prophecy this morning. As I've already said, it's the Messiah's birthplace. We're going to glean from it, pull some things through it, and see some of the significance in that um, this morning. So let us read together uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 just this morning. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little, Think of the words we can easily read over these words, but think of the words, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too nittle to be among the clans of Judah, and she was among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And we know the Lord will bless his reading of the word. In Micah's prophecy, what we notice is there's two names used for Bethlehem. Bethlehem itself means house of bread, Ephrathah means to be fruitful, a place of abundance. And the reason for these two names is because there's two, um, there were two Bethlehems in Israel. One Bethlehem was in Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. The second Bethlehem, which is where we are this morning, not where we literally are, but where we are in our text, where Christ was born was in Judah, which is in the southern parts of Israel, of Jerusalem. So Micah's prophecy uh, mentions of Ratha to make sure there's no confusion as to where the birthplace of Christ was going to be. We also know that King David was born in Bethlehem of Ratha. I also notice that Luke refers to Bethlehem as the city of David. Isn't that really strange when the city of David is always Jerusalem? And here we see that Luke, when uh, when he speaks about the birth of Christ with the angels, that that he he mentions Bethlehem as the city of David. Now, there are different reasons why this has happened, that Bethlehem was called the city of David. But the main reason, and the reason that I want to bring out to you this morning, was to remind the people that King David, God's man, who was used greatly came from this very place. He came from humble beginnings, and God used David. That's what the scriptures is trying to tell us: that David came from this wee little place of Bethlehem, and God used him, an ordinary man, to change the world in which he lived in. He used him to lift up the name of God. We we recite many of his psalms today. He had great victory because. He knew and he loved the Lord. And look what God did for him. A little man from Bethlehem, little David, became the mighty King David. And that's what the scriptures are trying to tell us. This great man, David, came from humble beginnings. Perhaps you've come from humble beginnings this morning. Maybe you've come from a place that you don't want to share where you've come from. That's the type of people that God can use have you ever heard of God using a man or a woman who complete, com- completely out of the gutter? Humble beginnings, God chooses the weak things of this world. Oh, he chooses the strong and the mighty as well, but more often than not, he chooses the weak things, the base things, the despised things of this world to be used of God. God still uses ordinary people today is what we're trying to say. King David was born in Bethlehem, greatly used but there was another king, King Jesus, Jesus himself, was also born in this little town of Bethlehem. Now, 700 years after Micah's prophecy, Christ was born. Pretty impressive. God's gift to the world had finally come, the promised Messiah, a gift that each person must receive from themselves. Now, we have to lay this foundation in order to go on with the rest. In order to 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 glean what we're going to be looking at this morning or to be blessed by it, we we first need to make sure that we know the Lord Jesus ourselves. We, We need to make sure that we have received this gift of the world, that we're saved this morning. And if you're not saved this morning, don't panic, you can be saved this morning. If the Lord speaks to you, you can indeed be saved this morning and your life can begin this journey and be changed. But Christ is a gift of the world, a gift that must be received. We read about this in Luke's Gospel 2 in verse 10. I just read it to you for the sake of time. We we know the story. There was the shepherds, the angels appeared to them. This is what the shepherds said to the, or the angel said to the shepherds: Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David a Saviour has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. Notice even the angels make reference here to David's humble beginnings. And according to the angels, this joy of soul, this, this peace that, that, that is available, that is found in Christ is for all people. It's for you this morning as well. You can have this peace. You can have this joy that the Bible speaks about. It's for the whosoever will. It's for you this morning. It's not beyond reach. And this joy is found only in Christ. See, Christ came to take away our sorrow. Do you remember that? Our sorrow. I don't know where you were. I can only assume, but I know where I was. There was, there was no peace in my life. At the, even at a young age, early teens, there was, there was grief. There, there was much sorrow and weight upon thy shoulders. But when Christ comes into a life, he takes away that sorrow. He replaces it with joy. And, and Christ brought hope into an otherwise hopeless world. It's important to notice that up until until this point in history where Christ was born, men had little hope. It was a time that many theologians refer to as a time of great ignorance, a time when men worshipped all sorts of strange idols to, to make some sort of peace with the gods. It was a time of ignorance. They didn't have the enlightenment that you and I have. They didn't have the canon of Scripture. They didn't know the resurrected Christ. They knew about a coming one, but we know about the one who has come and is coming again. You understand, this was a time of, of ignorance. There wasn't much revelation. You see, here's the thing. Men will worship idols because we're designed to worship. If we don't worship God, if we don't worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we will worship something else. That's just what we do as people. We worship things. We have an emptiness within us. An emptiness that only Jesus can satisfy this morning. And maybe you're here and you're, you're longing within your soul and you don't know the Lord this morning and, and you've tried many, many things and, and you just can't seem to attain that, that peace that I'm speaking about this morning. Well, I've told you, there's, there's only one way you can obtain that and that's through God, through, through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because that emptiness will not go away with stuff It'll not go away with time, it not go away with alcohol, it not go away with drugs, it not go away with great wealth or an abundance of work. It cannot and will not be satisfied. Is that fair to say, church? Outside of Christ. We have an emptiness that only Christ can satisfy. And to satisfy our longing souls, we must turn to the Lord. And you can do that today. You can be saved today. And if you need help, don't be afraid to speak with myself today after the service, or perhaps a Christian friend who will more than happily lead you in the things of God. Now, once we are saved, we begin a journey of faith. It's an interesting ride. And as we follow Christ, things begin to change in our life. Good things, by the way. There will be things in our life that might have to go as well, which we will think is bad, but will turn out to be really good. There will be things in our life that will have to go that must go things that are not good for us so if you're taking notes this morning here's the first thought destroy idols in your life pull them down anything that has your heart more than the lord this morning is an idol pull it down pull it down in act 17 the apostle paul himself he stands in athens and what he tells us is this he stands and he looks upon the many the multitude of educated people what he's seen, there was a people who worshiped many, many things, many idols. Now, idols were used in pagan worship and still are. And if you know anything about church history without getting into it this morning, because I would need to speak on it, not just mention it loosely, but around 1700 years ago, pagan worship was brought into Christian worship. And many, many people have been deceived from then right to this very day. Pagan worship mixed with Christianity is very, very deceptive and very destructive. In the book of Exodus, we read about the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is simply this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who saved you, out of the house of bondage, the place of sin. You shall have no other gods, no other gods before me. That's the first one. The second one is what I want to bring to you this morning. No idols. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water or on the earth. You shall not bow down to them, neither should you serve them. For I am the Lord your God, and I am jealous for you. So no idols. Church, I just want to say this. Be careful of idols in our lives. They come in many, many strange forms. They come with their arm out in friendship. They come in such a way that we think they're good for us. But to pull us away from the Lord. Be careful of idols, especially idols that you pray to, which is a different level. We worship this morning a living God, the resurrected Christ. We don't worship a dead idol. And in Acts 17, Paul begins to speak to these people who were somewhat confused in their religion. And he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. They had a form of godliness. They had a desire to worship God, you see. That hole that I'm speaking about. For as I walked around, Paul says, and I I looked carefully at all your various objects of worship. He says, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. See, if we're not worshiping Christ, we're worshiping an unknown God. We have an idea of God. I believe in a supreme ruler, but not God. I believe there's something without doubt that that created this universe, created you and I, but it's not God. It's certainly not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a a form of religion which is is so deceptive, so destructive. Speak to anybody in the Masonic. Their defense is this. We read from the Scriptures and give to charity. Very, very, very religious. And any church that doesn't do it should be ashamed. But it's very deceptive. And this is what Paul has warned about then and now. There's, there's within each man and, and woman a tendency to worship idols, whether they realize it or not, whether it's a wooden idol or some unknown God, some fabrication of the mind. This, this Christmas is nothing more but a festival to blow our money, eat, drink, and be merry. It's not about the Lord Jesus Christ as the mindset of much of our population today. But Paul says, people of Athens, I have observed your ways And I want to tell you some truth. And he begins to proclaim proclaim to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them that they worship a God that they don't really know anything about. And Paul begins to tell them about Jesus. This baby that's sent from above to take away the sin of the world. That the unknown God that they worship can now be known to them. Become their personal saviour. is not wonderful. For many, many years, many of us were lost we worshipped all sorts of things. I didn't know what yours was. Mine was a wee bond at the weekend, a wee drink. And the circle repeated. <coughs> Did I think it was a God? Absolutely not. But it had my heart. And that's what I lived for. I poured my money into. That was my focus. Is all I cared about. And I destroyed many people's lives on the way and along with my own. That's what anti-religion does. We need to get a good focus of this Christmas and what Christmas is really about. The Lord Jesus Christ who you can personally know this morning. I want you to notice what Paul says here, which is quite interesting. When Paul speaks to these men and women about their ignorance and about their idol worship and about the time when they're coming out of a season where Christ was fairly new in the scene. That's what he says. He says, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked. Now, did you get that? Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now God commands all men and women to repent everywhere. He goes on to say this, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. I want to say something very briefly and move on. Christianity's got a wee bit weak, a wee bit shallow, I feel, in the last five years at least that I have noticed. It's a lot to do with how we feel. It's a lot to do with how good things are going in our lives. Um, It's a farce if you live like that. We are going to suffer in this world. Things aren't always going to go our way. The longer we live, the more we're going to lose people. Do you know? And there's something about my understanding of Christ is that when he returns, all things will be made new. But in the meantime, all things are going to be ripped to shreds. For he has set a day for things to be made new. He has set a day for our loved ones to be restored, for those who have done great harm to be raised and judged. He set a day for the world to be judged with justice. And this truth has fallen by the wayside. And I pray that each of us as a church, as a believer, will get a sense of urgency regarding this appointed day and a clear understanding of what it means to live and die in this world. Because if our faith relies on us being good today, having good health today, having money in our bank today, we are above all people miserable, are we not? What an anti-faith. What a hopeless faith. Every one of the apostles, bar John, suffered greatly, never once questioned Christ, renounced their faith. I'm sure they questioned a lot of stuff going on, but Please see what I'm saying this morning, church. There's such a, a move of, 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 of musical worship today that we sometimes, I wonder, do we worship the, the music instead of the man that we're, we're supposed to be worshiping? We've introduced some hymns again, not because we want to go back to the 1960s. We want to bring Jesus back into our lyrics that's not saying our new songs haven't we're just re- refocusing our thinking and there will be the newer ones of course there's newer ones with but we I just felt we lost control of it all it was about a, a show but yet when something happens to us outside of the show our life falls our Christianity is shaking and all of a sudden where's God in it all because music makes us feel good it lifts us, but the Word of God sustains us and grounds us. Amen. It, it keeps us. It gives us hope. For anybody who's lost a young one, like, 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 like ourselves, myself included, what does the Scripture say? We can't go to where, the, where it is, but or it can't come to where but we can go and we will go. And there's so many promises that we will indeed see the living God with our own eyes. Church, be grounded. Be balanced. Don't be suckered in with this 21st century idol worship that we're surrounded in and tempted to be taken part of. If Christmas doesn't excite you and remind you about the Lord Jesus Christ, make sure you begin to meditate upon it. Don't be afraid to ask people why they do Christmas. Because people are as lost as ever. And sadly, many Christians are as lost as well. Let us make sure we're not those ones. And I pray that we would get a sense of urgency Remind us that all men will rise again and stand before God. This world is but a temporary passing place of pilgrims. All men will stand before God, be judged judged for their, and punished according to their lives without Christ. We need a renewed sense of urgency. And the only way you'll get that in your life is take your idols of your life and cast them down. And then Christ becomes the priority. From the first Christmas of Christ's birth until now, men have no excuse in denying Christ. Now, Scripture refers to the time before Christ, as I've already said, a time of ignorance, a time when God looked over or overlooked certain things. Now, what I see quite simply is men will still be judged, those who disobeyed the prophets, and God clearly moved in every generation according to Scripture, But all generations before Christ will be judged a little differently. Now, that's a big statement. But look what Paul says. These times of ignorance before Christ was born, these times of ignorance, God overlooked certain things, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. To be saved this Christmas, one must simply realize that they have sinned against God. That's the beauty of this present that God has given to this world. It changes lives for time and eternity and repent of their sin and come to Christ in faith. Listen, to be saved, we need to understand that no idol can save us. No saint can save us. No man, no woman, no minister can save us. Only Christ has the authority to save men and women. And that's what Paul was teaching these people in Athens. Why do you pray to these idols that are absolutely powerless to change our life? Let me tell you about one who can. Friends, as if we don't already know this, but just in case, pray to Jesus and Jesus alone. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not our health, our wealth, our position in society. Nothing else. It all can fall very quickly. And can I gently say, if you have wooden idols this morning or any type of idols, can I ask you to consider why you have these idols? Because paganism sweeps in so subtly that we find ourselves doing things that, are, that carry a type of godliness but have absolutely no substance within the word. And if you ask yourself why you have them, then if you can see that they are nothing but idols, that in fact God forbids them, maybe consider pulling them down and out of your life. Maybe even use them to light the fire. Nothing better than a nice bit of heat. And that way you can worship and pray directly to Jesus as you warm yourself before the fire. Because that's the only way you will warm your soul. It's by coming directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. In all things. So, this Christmas, church, let us destroy all idols, whether they're wooden idols or whether some type of physical, materialistic idols in our life. The second simple point this morning is as very quick as this in these days apply the blood of Christ to your life. Now, some of these are elementary, but we need to reapply the blood to her, of Christ to our lives and live in it. It. Several years ago, I found myself in Israel. We tried to visit Bethlehem. Um, at that time, there was trouble there. We were unable to get into see it into the, into the area. But the scripture tells us that shortly after Jesus's birth in Bethlehem, that there were shepherds sitting on a hill watching their sheep at night. And as they sat there, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and to said to them, today in the town of Bethlehem, A Saviour has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And Luke 2 and 11, they were also given some signs. Signs how they may know who the Lord is, this Messiah is. The sign was this, they would find a baby wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. What a strange sign. Of all the signs that God could have chosen, why did he choose a baby lying in a manger? What is the significance of swaddling clothes? Who are these shepherds that are brought before us? Now, a man by the name of Jason Sobel, he's an interesting guy, I've mentioned him before, he's a Messianic teacher. In other words, a Jew who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows the history, the context of the Hebrew language specifically and the Jewish culture. And he believes that these shepherds were no ordinary shepherds. He believes they were what's called Levitical shepherds. You know about the Levitical priests? Well, these are Levitical shepherds. These shepherds had the responsibility of guarding and tending the flock that would be used for the sacrifices in the temple. Now, of course, we are familiar with some of the sacrifices or the Jewish holidays, but perhaps no more, uh, probably one that we know the best is the Passover festival. And during the first Passover in Egypt, we know the story, a lamb had to be taken, it was killed. Then the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorposts of the family home on the lintel at the top. Without the blood applied to these homes, death would enter in and the firstborn male would be taken. That's a picture of Christ, the only son, the begotten, who would die for your sin and my sin. And so when the angel of death came, He would look down and he would see the blood on the doorposts of the homes who applied it. And then he would pass over the home. And all those people who applied the blood would be saved. It's a beautiful picture of Christ's atoning work on the cross. And all who accept Christ as their Savior, what they have actually done in a spiritual sense, have applied the blood of Christ to the doorposts of their hearts. And that's what you stand on this morning. You don't stand on the the wickedness of our world and how bad things are going in our lives. If you've got the blood applied to our hearts, that's our foundation. There's no other thing that we rejoice in or or worship and and sing about Christ and his blood applied to our hearts. The man or woman who saved, they now have the, the blood applied, their blood bought as we would call it, and they belong to Jesus. And on this set day that the Bible talks about of judgment, the eye of God will look down, Upon the redeemed and he will see the blood of Christ his son applied to their souls and he will pass them by. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it is. We're not saved from broken marriages. We're not saved from bankruptcy. We're not saved from ever getting illness or terminal illness or or from dying. We're saved from the judgment. It's second. After the resurrection, when the second death comes into play, we're saved from it. That, that, that's what the Bible teaches at Christmas. Why else is it good news? It's good news when we get a grasp of where we truly stand in life. And believer, in these days of great wickedness, when your eyes are sore looking at stuff around you, when your spirit is wax, and I'm guessing it is for all that's going on around us, remember who you serve this morning. Remember to, despite what's going on in our world, to reapply, in, in a sense, the blood of Christ. Not reapply as if to read, keep getting saved, but to reapply the truths of it. Because this world will stain us and, and rub again us and get in on us. And we need to reapply the blood and refresh that truth in our life and rejoice and trust Him at His word. Now, surrounding Bethlehem, there's many caves. And these caves are believed to be used to lamb, sheep, in the ancient times. Tradition has it that many of the male lambs that were born in Bethlehem were specifically used for the Passover. As these lambs were destined to be used for the temple worship, these keys were kept in a place of ritual cleansing. They're, they were kept well, if you like. They were, were kept in a good, good, good position. When we think of Christmas, we think of the birth of Christ. We remember Joseph and Mary. Now remember, Mary is heavily pregnant. She's in Bethlehem. She's looking for, or they're looking for a room to rent. Time after time, they're told that the the inn is full. They've nowhere to go. They're offered a manger to find shelter. We know the story. And this man, Sobel, understanding this account from a Jewish context, says that the Messiah was not born in a stable behind a Motel 6. He was born in one of the many caves used for the birthing of these sacrificial lambs because he himself would be the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Now, it was no coincidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, because the town of the Levitical shepherds was also the birthing stable of these lambs. But then we come to the swaddling clothes. Only the male lambs, that were without blemish. We know this, that no marks or anything on them were able to be used for atonement. And many scholars believe that these shepherds would swaddle their newborn lambs to prevent them from injuring themselves in the caves to protect them. And therefore, they would be worthy for the atonement of sins. What a picture we get of the plan of salvation playing out right before our eyes. These priestly shepherds who encountered the angels made their way to the caves, the stables where the lambs were used for sacrifice. Sacrificial lambs were born to be used for the, the sacrifice. And what they got there, this is what they would have seen. They would have seen the baby Jesus lying there in a truck, we're told, wrapped in swaddling clothes, just like the Passover sacrificial lamb. That's what they have seen. This was God pointing to Israel saying, These lambs you use daily and yearly, here's the lamb of heaven that you not have to keep killing, keep applying, the once and for all sacrifice. What a wonderful picture it is. (coughs) I just want to remind us this morning because it's easy to forget these things. Christmas is not about stuff. It's about Jesus this morning, isn't it? One of the biggest things that we hear going on in society is this. I can't afford to buy my children all this stuff. Stuff. We each have to be stewards of our own lives, our own marriages. But as your pastor, don't blow all your money on stuff. Don't create brats, which we're all very capable of doing. Isn't it? Teach them about Christ. The stuffs will be forgot about. They will. The word of God written in their heart means they'll never forget what Christmas is about. Don't forget to buy stuff. If you buy no stuff, you could be in trouble. But don't buy loads of stuff. When we give and when we receive gifts, we remember the greatest gift of all, given by God. Now that seems quite silly in one sense. Do you remember the day he saved you? Remember the day he lifted you of the pit of sin? Remember the day he healed your life? That's the gift. Do you remember that gift that keeps, the give, keeps giving and giving? You know the time you fell in sin and he just lifted up you embraced you and he brought you on. That's the gift we're talking about. It's not some silly story that we tell children to make them feel good. It's a truth, church. It's a truth. This gift will change lives, has changed lives, and will continue to change lives, and it should be changing ours, church. The Lamb of God, this gift of God, who came to take away the sins of the world through this sacrifice upon this cross, and all who are lost and want to be saved this morning can be Because of this gift of God, you can be saved today. And if you need to, please speak to me after. The last point is this, understand you're valued this Christmas. Oh, we prep talk, it's not a prep talk, it's a truth. No matter how hard you are this morning, how much you're able to stand on your own two feet this morning, you need to know that you are valued regardless of what you have done or built in your life. Regardless of what shook your land and how low of a pit you find yourself in this morning, you need to know that God values you. I need to know and quite often remind myself that he values me. Because quite often we don't value ourselves too well. We need to be told truth. Now Bethlehem was small, it was insignificant. In the eyes of the world it was too small to be great. A bit like you and I. Too little to make a difference. And this prophecy from heaven, spoken through the prophet Micah, is this, O Bethlehem of Rapha, you who are too little among the clans of Judah. Church, the place where Christ was born should encourage everyone who feels small this morning. Everyone who feels insignificant this morning. Who feels rejected this morning. Who perhaps feels unseen in this world. And I would say that's nearly all of us. God used a little town in Bethlehem as the birthplace of Christ. And what we learn is that God uses small, unseen, insignificant people to change the world. Amen, church. It's us this morning and millions like us. God uses people like you and I to make a difference to the world, to point people to Christ, to be a blessing in a wicked, selfish world. God knows where you are this morning. He knows where you've been and yet he values you. He knows some of the horrendous thoughts that has entered your heart. He knows some of the things that we have desired to happen to others and yet he values us. That's the God of the Bible. He he values you and if you will let him in, church as well, if you let him in, pull the idols down, he will use you. And you will change this world in part. Be faithful, and even if you are a little Bethlehem, watch what he will do with your life. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread, and all who trust in Christ will be satisfied in life. Are you satisfied this morning? Because we start to age into other things, we lose that satisfaction, we lose that peace, that joy. But when, when we put our trust fully in Christ, we no longer hunger, we no longer try to find contentment in stuff. And those who trust him, even the little people of this world, will be fruitful. Have you proved that in your life, O little man, O little woman, who just simply serves God and how he has used you mightily, how he has kept you well, and how you are such a blessing to people in this world? Don't look about the highfalutin, modern-day preacher, 50,000 people, a billion pound industry coming in and all looks great. It's the wee man that I worry about. It's the wee woman that I worry about. The wee faithful people who one day I'll have to stand beside as God commends them. As God stands before and he reels out all they did in the day of testing. How they remain faithful. When all the loud mouths are silenced because all it was was words. And that brings us to two conclusions. We can either live for God and be authentic or we can be loudmouths. Is that it? There are going to be two types of Christians. Those who follow the Lord. Those who know their nittle but trust God in their melody and do great things for Him. Humility. Five minutes and we're finished. Humility. This is what the dictionary says about humility. The personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's own worth. To think too little of yourself is very dangerous. You'll not do what you want to do in life and you'll certainly not do what God asked you to do. Don't think too little of yourself. Understand you're valued. You're nittled but you're used by God. Think too much of yourself. It's very dangerous all that you do do may be done just for you and for your own glory. But loneliness is the mark of a disciple of Christ. And interestingly enough, in Micah chapter 6, Micah says this, what does the Lord require of you? To walk humbly with your God was the answer. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And perhaps the best instruction for the church as we consider the, the word humility, is the humility of our Savior. And Second Chronicles 7 says this. Think of this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Humility. There's something about humility that brings the anointing. There's something about humility that God uses. And church, I pray this morning, as we've considered how God chose the the small, the insignificant Bethlehem to draw out mighty men, to bring salvation to the world. Consider how small and insignificant you and I are this morning. Yet if we remain faithful to him, Pull down them idols out of our life. Be authentic in our worship. And trust him in the wee things and be faithful in the wee things that God would use us to do mighty things. Amen. Amen. So our instruction was simply this. Destroy all idols in our life. Apply the blood of Christ to your life and be at peace in this world. Understand that you're valued by God despite what the world has spoken over you you are loved in these wicked days walk in humility by doing so god will surely use you to make a difference amen that's the team to come father we just thank you for your word to us this morning god we thank you that father you chose god the weak things the small things the insignificant people of this world father to do great and wonderful things for you and Father, I pray over each of our lives this morning, God, that as we go out into our week, that Father, we would find ourselves being used of you. Lord, that we would be, a, Lord, a light, Lord, to the people that we encounter. That Father, we would be a mouthpiece for the word of God. That Lord, we would be a, a vessel of mercy. Lord, a reconciler of peace. God, that we would make a difference in our world because we know, although we're small, and indif- insignificant God, but we're the children of God. We carry an anointing. Lord, you, we are the call people. Father, your church is the call people. Lord, we gather this morning as millions around the world do because we're called out of this world. <coughs> Father, let's do pray. That we would sense a fresh anointing this morning. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, for them idols, God, that's in our lives, I pray that you would bring them to our foresight. Lord, if there's things in our life that ought to go this morning, that, Lord, you would show us them through the Holy Spirit. Father, you would give us the strength, Lord, to, Lord, rid ourselves of them things that hinder us from true worship um, this morning.